0: So good to be able to worship in song, and now as we turn our attention to God's Word and worship Him through the Word, I really want to begin uh, with a question, and my question is this, is have you ever had an experience that was so good, so great, that words just didn't do it justice? Like you just had to be there, you had to experience it to really get it. Well, I've had several of those experiences in my life, and maybe the earliest one that I can remember is when I was in Scouts. I loved Scouts. I was like the Pine Derby like champion. I was the king of pine derbies, uh, Pinewood Derbies. Um, I loved knives and fires, and then Scouts. You get to play with both of those. And we were able to go camping. Uh, I just loved everything about Scouts. Well, uh, I grew up most of my life here in Colorado, and I was a part of Scouts, and my dad was the Scout leader. And when I was around 12 or 13 years old, I actually, Uh, or we decided as a troop that we were going to hike Long's Peak. Now, if you're not from Colorado, let me just like give you a little insight onto Long's Peak. Long's Peak is about 90 minutes away uh, from Denver. It's on kind of the north side up here, and uh, it it sits at 14,259 feet tall. Now, just to give you some reference, that's 2.7 miles above sea level. Like, it is a long way up there. And if you're ever going to hike Long's Peak, uh, you have to start really early, early in the morning, before sunrise, even because you have to make the summit and then get back down below the tree line before the afternoon thunderstorms move in. Because if the afternoon thunderstorms move in and you're above the tree line, that is like trouble. And so we're in scouts. We're deciding to do this. And so we went up. We camped at one of the nearby campsites the night before. We got up early in the morning and we were on the trail at like 4 a.m. And we were just thrilled. I mean, in the beginning hours of that hike, we were just super, super thrilled. But as most with 12- and 13-year-olds, that that thrill soon moved to, like, exhaustion because that hike is no joke. And as we're moving, I have this, like, image that's burned in my head of my dad. He was about my age, and he was carrying up Long's Peak not only his day pack, but, like, three or four of the other scouts' day packs going up because we were just, like, done. We weren't carrying them anymore. Eventually, we made it to Chasm Lake. We had an early uh, lunch there, and Chasm Lake is just this beautiful mountain lake that sits kind of three miles below. Uh, the, the summit of Long's Peak. And it was there that we decided that we were going to go the rest of the way. And so as you make that, that way from Chasm Lake to the summit, you go through the keyhole, you go over the boulder fields, you walk through this place called the Narrows and the Ledges, which is just like the side of a cliff. Like if you take the wrong step, you are dead, man. You are like dead, 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 right? And eventually you make it all the way to the summit. And when we got to the summit, I mean, it's just this, this moment that you can't even explain. I mean, words just don't even do it justice. Like you're up there and, and literally you're on top of the world. Like everything that you're looking at is just below you. And there's this sense of accomplishment within you that, that you just can't explain. And there is nothing like being in a place where you can't breathe because there is no air at 14,000 feet, right? I mean, I mean, just to experience it, like to try to explain it just doesn't, just doesn't do it justice. You just have to experience it. I had another one of those, uh, those uh, things happen to me. One of these experiences happened to me. When I was in Kauai, that my family uh, decided that we were going to do a family vacation to Kauai one year. And so my wife and I, we were fairly new in our marriage. Uh, We decided that we were going to start saving for snorkeling gear. And I know that you're all thinking like... (laughs) like saving for snorkeling gear, like Matt, you can pick it up for like 20 bucks at Walmart, right? But when you are newly married and in seminary, like everything's expensive. And so we saved our money, we bought our snorkeling gear, we went to Kauai with the family, and every chance that I got, I was jumping in the ocean to to just experience that world just below the surface, right? The fish and the coral and just the beauty of all that that is. And, And so everywhere there was water, I was in. And one day, we went to Tunnels Beach in Kauai. And my sister and I, we jumped into the water, and we're swimming, and we're seeing the fish, and it's beautiful. And, and I was a little bit ahead of her as we're, as we're swimming. And all of a sudden, she just, like, reached out, and she began to, like, grab my leg. And she was just, like, climbing up my leg. And I'm thinking what you're thinking. Shark. Shark, right? And I turn around real fast to see what it is, you know. And it wasn't a shark, but rather it was, like, five or six sea turtles, that were just like in our area, and they were huge. I mean, they were as big as I am, and they were just swimming alongside us. And just for those few moments, this feeling came over me that I can't explain. It was just this surreal moment of, of swimming with these larger-than-life creatures, that every single one of us, every single one of us has had an experience or two or maybe three in our lives where we can just look back and go, man, you just had to be there to get it. Like, I can't explain it with words. And so what I want to do here in the circle at home, if you're watching this with someone, what I want to do is I want to give you just a few seconds, all right, 30 seconds, and I want you to, to share with someone an experience that you had that's like that. You can't just really explain it with words. Like, it was just you had to be there to, to get it, all right? So ready, ready, go. Everyone go. All right, let's bring it back together here. All right, so we've all had those experiences in life, whether that be like childbirth or you know a rocky top experience or whatever it might be. But how many of you, when you thought of that, this came to mind, right? Like, like the Chick-fil-a, original Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich. I mean, it's just you can't explain it, right? Like, like as you take one of these out, if you had this with a little Chick-fil-a sauce and you dip into this like that. Words just don't explain this right here. There's a moment in life, in fact, in our family, we don't say anything. We just look at each other and we say, how do they make it so good? Like, that's it, right? And I mean, I can explain this to you. In fact, I've been to the Dorf House. That's the original Chick-fil-A place. Uh, Pastor Chris and I, we went there about 10 years ago. We barely changed, but that's the original Chick-fil-A. I can tell you all about Chick-fil-A. I can tell you everything you need to know about Chick-fil-A, but I'm just telling you that you, until you try it, until you eat it, like you just don't get it, right? I mean, words just can't explain a Chick-fil-A sandwich. And I know that this is like the worst sermon illustration ever because most of you are watching this on Sunday and you can't get one of these. <laughs> so, like so, but you know it, right? You know it. And whether it's long speak or swimming with sea turtles or eating a Chick-fil-a sandwich or whatever it is, we can all agree, we can all agree that there are some experiences in life that you just have to you just have to experience it to get it. You can't talk about it. You can't teach it. You can't learn about it. You just have to experience it to get it. Well, I believe that one of those things in life is Jesus. That today we're starting a series called Finding Jesus. And if we're ever truly going to find Jesus, he's not someone that we can just talk about. He's not someone we can just learn about. He's not something someone who can just be taught to us about. That we actually have to experience him. Now, surely that doesn't keep us from, from trying, right? I mean, any you can tune into any church, any church this morning or, or any time that you're watching this. And so hold on, there's chicken in my in my teeth. This is a pain, right? I mean Yeah. All right. Yeah, toothpick, yeah, right. And so like it doesn't keep us from trying, right? That you can step into any number of, of churches today and our language it gives us away, doesn't it? I mean we go to Sunday school. We learn about the Bible. We memorize Scripture. When I was a kid, I was I went to classes that that taught me how to explain Jesus to people who don't know how to, uh, who don't know Jesus yet, right? Like all of that's like going on and happening. When I was in seminary, I actually took a class on the art of debate, so that if I ever got into a debate with someone over Jesus, that you would walk away like black and blue because of the Bible beatdown that I gave you. Like, like all of us, right? All of us, have, have, if you've been in church, you've, you've experienced that side of church world where we learn and we teach and, and we try to talk about Jesus. And yet the reality of what I've come to learn in my life is, is this, is that no one's ever been argued into connection with God. That, that while we're able to learn and, and maybe be taught about Jesus, that that, that teaching and that learning doesn't, doesn't necessarily lead to connection with God. And the fact of the matter is, is that that Jesus doesn't just want us to know a lot of things about him, like we're stalking him on Instagram, but rather he wants us to be relationally connected to him, which is a huge thing that every single one of us should should just pause and think about for a moment, that Jesus doesn't want you to know facts about him. He wants you to be connected relationally to him. And so what I want to do today is I want to show you something that Jesus did all the time, that when he walked on this world time and time again, he did, he did this one thing to help people experience a relationship with him. And the term that we're going to look at today is what he used with his, his first followers. It's how he got the ball rolling. That this was his first invitation to his very first followers. And as you read the Gospels, that is the story of Jesus' life, You start discover, you start to discover that Jesus made an invitation that is extended to every single person every single day. And whether you've been a part of church your entire life or you've been to church the last 25 minutes of your life, that this is an invitation that is extended extended to you. And so if you have your Bibles at home, what I'd love for you to do is take them out. And we're going to look at John today, the the book or the gospel of John. John chapter 1, that's where we're going to be. See, I just think that if we're going to find Jesus... Then we need to find those who were closest to Jesus. And John happened to be one of Jesus' best buds. And so I'm going to pick up in John chapter 1, starting in verse 35, and it reads this way The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. Now, just pause there for a moment because this is a little bit a little bit unclear. But this isn't John the writer of this book. This is a different John. It gets a little confusing, but there's two Johns. John, Jesus' best friend, and then a guy that we call John the Baptist. And the reason that we call him John the Baptist is not because he was a Baptist. It's not like, you know, Pete the Presbyterian and John the Baptist. That's not what's going on here. That the reason that we call him John the Baptist is because he dunked people. See, culturally during this time, there was a practice that happened among the Jews. That if you were a non-Jew, that's a Gentile, and you wanted to convert to Judaism, you wanted to become a Jew, then you would have to go through this this ritual, this ceremony where two things happened. The first is, is that you would be dunked. You would be what was called baptized for the washing of your sins. And the second thing, if you were a man, you got circumcised. Now, truth be told, right Brad, truth be told, that probably not a lot of men converting to Judaism during this time. John the Baptist comes on the scene, and he's preaching an entirely different message. He starts preaching this message not for non-Jews to become Jews, but rather he starts preaching to both Gentiles and Jewish people that true connection to God is through repentance, and that anybody who had a repentant heart before God then needed to be baptized as a symbol of what God was doing on the inside of them. It was this beautiful picture. And as John the Baptist starts preaching this message, people hear it from all over. And Jew and non-Jew, Jew Jew and Gentile, start showing up, and he's dunking people everywhere. And a few of these people become his disciples, verse 36. And John looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. Now this statement was huge. Because in this time, if you wanted to be right before God, if you wanted to be right with God, that you had to make a sacrifice for your sin. A sheep, a goat, a pigeon, a lamb. See, in the Old Testament, the Old Testament taught that if you sinned, something had to die. That the prophets of the Old Testament made this claim that if you wronged God, we call that sin, if you wronged God, then then the punishment for that wrong, the payment for that sin was eternal death. It was pretty rough. And so a sacrificial system was developed where you as a person who had wronged God, who had sinned against God, could take an animal and sacrifice that animal in your place, that that animal would become your substitute, and it would pay the penalty. It would suffer eternal death for your sake. Now also in the Old Testament, there was this, this one that was spoken of that was actually called the Lamb of God. And that the thought is, is that when this spoken one, this Lamb of God showed up, that that he would be the everlasting sacrifice to make people right before God. And on this day, as John is doing his thing in the river, he's, he's dunking people, and he sees Jesus come over the hillside. And as soon as he sees Jesus, he says, wait, behold, pause. And everybody does. And he says right there, the Lamb of God. Now, everybody in this moment would have been like, what are you, is this the one, John? Is this the lamb, the everlasting sacrifice that we've been waiting for? Verse 37, the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and and saw them following, and he said to them, what are you seeking? (laughs) Now, Jesus knew exactly what they wanted. See, the Lamb of God in the Old Testament was also known as the Messiah. And you might have heard of the word Messiah before. It simply means the anointed one or the promised one. That throughout the Old Testament, there was this, this Messiah. And the Jews believed that this Messiah would bring the favor, the hope, the peace of God upon all people. That the Messiah was all about ending the the sacrificial system and once and for all being being made right before God, making a way for forgiveness, making a way of being set free where you could stop trying to pay God back, where you could just rest in the fact knowing, knowing that you don't owe God anymore. It was peace. It It was hope. And in the first century, just like us today, we're all looking for it. And these disciples of John, they're no different. And they look at him and they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you'll see that Jesus invites them to the Holiday Inn. And as he's inviting them there, he's not inviting them just to check out the hotel pool. He's saying something to them that is way bigger here. So they came and they saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day. It was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. What they experienced that afternoon was, was life-changing because these boys, they went away actually believing that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the Christ, that he was the that he was the son of God. Verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip, and he said to him, Follow me. Now, this guy, Philip, we don't know much about him, particularly before he met Jesus. We, we hardly know anything about him. We know that he's buds with Andrew and, and Simon Peter, we know where he's from, we know that he was probably a fisherman. But outside of that, history is pretty quiet about the guy that Philip was was just an everyday kind of guy. In fact, he was probably more like a nobody. He was a nobody. And one day, Jesus walks up to Philip, and he makes this invitation to him that is deeply relational. He says, Philip, follow me. And Jesus, he looks at this, this nobody, and he says, you don't need a pen. You don't need to write anything down. It doesn't require much on your part. You don't don't need to have your life all together. You don't need to have things all in order. Will you just do the one thing that I know you can do? Will you follow me? I'm not asking you to change. I'm not asking you to, to have your life all together. I'm just asking you. Will you take a step in my direction and follow me? Will you experience life with me? Look, when we read the story of Jesus' life throughout the Gospels, this is the way it always begins. That this is the initial invitation that Jesus makes to every single one of us every day of our lives. Come on, when Jesus is meeting with Philip, when he sees Philip for the first time, he could have said any number of things, couldn't he? have? I mean, he could, have, he could have looked at Philip and he could have said, Philip, I need to explain some things to you. And he could have pulled up a chair to a whiteboard and started drawing sentences. Let me, let me help you get all this. Let me help you know all these things. He could have started with, with Philip, man, this is where you've wronged God. This is where you've sinned. This is in how bad a shape you're in. He could have started with Philip, this is, these are the decisions that you've made. This is why you've ended up a nobody in your life. He could have started in any number of those places and been perfectly right. But Jesus didn't come into this world to be right. He came to this earth to be followed. Because in being followed, we would get to experience life, what life with Jesus looks like. And all the things that we want to understand and all the things that we want to learn and all the things that we can be taught about God would be made clear and that ultimately following Jesus would lead to an opportunity of connecting with God in a way that would set us free, that would give us hope, that would bring us peace. That on this day, Jesus looks at Philip and says, Philip, will you follow me? Will you experience life with me? And I'm telling you, no long, no, it doesn't matter how long you have, you've been in church, no matter what you believe or don't believe about God, what you've done in your past, the last thing that you said to your wife, how you, how you handled your last kid's discipline, what you've done financially, all the baggage that is in your life, regardless of that baggage, here's what we know from this little verse, that every day Jesus, the Messiah, the Lamb of God who loves you, makes an invitation to you, and he says, will you follow me? Will you experience life with me? And Philip, he, he takes him up on this offer. And he experienced things over the next couple of days. And he came away believing that Jesus was the Messiah. It absolutely changed his life. And the first thing that he does is he goes and he finds his best bud, Nathaniel. Verse 45. It says, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of, of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And I kind of have this image in my mind, this, this image that, that Philip comes running to Nathaniel, and he's talking so fast, and he's changing these things so fast, and Nathaniel's like, bro, you got to slow down. And Philip's like, we found him. Bro, we, we really found him. And Nathaniel's like, who? He's like, Jesus, we found the Messiah. We, we found the Lamb of God. We found the, the Savior, the one that we've been waiting for. Now during this time in the first century, there were, there were dozens of, of messianic figures. In fact, in this very moment in the first century, we know of at least 19 messianic figures that rose up during Jesus' lifetime. All 19 of them started rebellions against Rome. All 19 of them ended in death. Nathaniel's seen this story time and time again. He knows the ending of this story. Verse 46, Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come from Nazareth? He's like, Philip, look, man, <laughs> don't want to burst your bubble here, but, but I have a pretty good picture of, of what the Messiah is. I have, a, I have an image in my mind of what I'm looking for in the Messiah, and it's not some hit carpenter from the backwoods of Nazareth. It's just not. And here, Philip does what I love. I love what he does in this moment. He doesn't go, Nathaniel, man, what if you accidentally step into the street and get hit by a donkey? Where are you going to spend eternal life? Like, he, he doesn't go there. He doesn't start in that space. He he starts in the same space where Jesus started with him. He looks at his bud, Nathaniel, and he says, would you just come and see? Would you just come and see? He doesn't argue with him. He doesn't try to explain the the four spiritual laws. He doesn't try to make a case for Nazareth. He he just says, bud, will, will you come and will you see? I can't explain it. I I don't know how to use words to to paint the picture for you. You just just have to experience it. That this invitation is always the first step in finding Jesus. Jesus says, look, you don't have to be a good person to follow me. If you doubt that, just go back out and check the disciple Matthew's story. Jesus says, just follow me. It, It doesn't mean that we have to have our entire lives together. And if you doubt that, just go check out the story of the woman at the well. That Jesus says, will you just do the one thing that I know you can do? Will you just take a small step in my direction and experience me? Will you follow me? Just, Just come and see. And here's what happens if we take Jesus up on that offer. I've seen it a hundred times in my life that when you start to experience Jesus, you start to see God differently. You start to see yourself differently. The questions that you have in terms of your identity, the questions that you have in terms of your childhood and the way that some things worked out, that in those moments there's there's clarity and there's some sense that that starts to get made. And when that happens, you begin to change and you start to do things differently. And it's not because I preach to you a list of things that you could do and don't do, the thou's and the thou shalt nots, but rather it's because you're falling in love with Jesus. And when you fall in love with Jesus, it's like falling in love with any other person, that you start to do things not because you have to, but because the relationship is so meaningful that you want to, that you're motivated to do it. And if you're tuning in today trying to find Jesus, I just want you to know that you're not here by accident. You're not. See, my guess is, like most of us, that you've spent the last 60, 70 days looking out at this world and the chaos of this world. And as you're looking into the world, you're you're yearning for peace, you're yearning for hope. And the reality is, is that as you look into the world, you only see hopelessness. You don't see peace. And you... And you're searching. You're searching everywhere that you can to find it. And you're here, and and you hear about Jesus. And and maybe today, as as you hear all of this, you're thinking, Matt, I'm not so sure about this. I mean, seriously? This is where I find peace? This is where I find hope? Is by some first century hick carpenter from nowhere Nazareth, who you said died on a cross and then raised three days later? I'm, I'm not so sure about that. That's fair. For others of you, you're, you're here and, and you're listening and you're thinking, Matt, I, I believe this Jesus thing, but you don't know my story. You don't know what I've done. You, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know the, the baggage that I carry in my past, that, that as I look at this, I, I don't know if I'm worthy. I don't know if I'm worthy of hope. I don't know if I'm worthy of peace. And the best answer that I can give to you, either one of you in this moment, is simply the same answer that Philip gave Nathaniel. And that is, will you just come and see? Will you just come and see and experience Jesus? Would you take Jesus up on this offer to follow him? If you're at all interested... And following Jesus, your, your very next step that you can take is a little box shows up that says, raise a hand. If you click that, it'll take you to some information. Even if you're not ready to believe yet, you can start experiencing Jesus today. Would you take that step? Would you take that small step and come and see? Experience Jesus on this day. Now, before I wrap all this up, I I just want to talk to the Crossroads family real quick. If you're a part of of the Crossroads family, I have a challenge for you. See, I believe, and I have a hunch that you believe that following and ultimately trusting in Jesus is the most rewarding, peace-filled, hope, rewarding, satisfying relationship in your life. And if that's the case, I want you to ch- I want to challenge you this week to be Philip. That every day we are surrounded by the Nathaniels of our lives, in our family, with our work, in our neighborhoods. And this may be the easiest invitation you ever make to church. Would you just come and see? Would you just come and find out about Jesus? That's my challenge to you this week. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I'm grateful to be in your presence. Lord, even though we as a church are are not in one building, but spread out in buildings all over the Denver area, all over Colorado, and even all over the world. God, I'm grateful to be able to lift our voices and to sing your praise. Lord, I'm grateful, Lord, for your word and for your invitation on every single one of our lives every single day to simply wake up and to follow you. Lord, it's an invitation that just simply takes a step in experiencing life with you. And so, Lord, today I pray for those who you're speaking into their souls, speaking into their hearts, Lord. I pray, God, that they would do the one thing that they can do, and that's take that step. Lord, for those of us who have maybe walked with you for a good season of our lives, Lord, the call is still the same for us every morning on this day. Will you follow me? God, help us see you. Help us experience your son, Jesus, in ways that are vibrant. Lord, ways that speak to our souls. It's in this, Lord, that I pray. In your beautiful, in your wonderful, in your powerful name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.